steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs, sideline, touchdown. Welcome back to the Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Rydell. Back here with my guy, Drew Mahold. And today, we are taking a look at the matchup that your Minnesota Vikings have in order to get back to 500 this week. Wow. That's Cowboys, yeah. The opportunity to get back to 500 is very real. Uh, I think you mentioned in the last show the Vikings are 7.5-point favorites. I don't think that's moved much or at all. Um, so, real opportunity here. Um, and, obviously, the big, the biggest piece being that Dak Prescott, the – you know, uh, superstar celebrity quarterback of Dallas is not going to be playing this week. And instead, uh, the Vikings will get Andy Dalton uh, and potentially Garrett Gilbert, assuming, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But Andy Dalton didn't look good the first time he played, or excuse me, the last time he played. And uh, Garrett Gilbert, on the other hand, maybe a little bit better, maybe a little worse. I don't know. We'll go through it. So that's kind of the game plan today. Uh, we'll break down Dallas and how the Vikings will kind of oppose them and uh, take a step in the right direction again this week. So, um We'll do that, and then we'll do our picks like we always do. So that's the game plan for the show. Um, let's start it off here. Um, it feels weird to start with the quarterback for the Cowboys because I don't think Andy Dalton's really much of a factor in terms of whether or not this team wins, other than the fact that he plays the quarterback position who is distributing the football. But it's the rest of this team, right, that's you know going to – if Dallas is going to win this game, it's going to have to come from someone other than Andy Dalton because as far as I'm concerned – you can't really count on him to be, you know, a true quarterback in the sense, like a true starting quarterback, a guy that you can trot out there and expect you to win a new football game. Well, right. And I think we've noticed over the years with Mike McCarthy that, like, I don't, and maybe this is a, a biased view of things, but I, it seems like his offense has not catered well to backup quarterbacks or quarterbacks other than, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and so, you know, you think about Green Bay in the past when, you know, like Matt Flynn would go in the game or like Seneca Wallace or Scott Tolzien. Like it didn't seem like those guys were very, now that could just be because they're not very good, but the offense is just clearly dropped off significantly. And then of course, Hundley and Hundley in uh, 2017 as well. Uh, and so it didn't seem like it was very easy for Green Bay to compete. And then you come to Dallas now and they have completely fallen off a cliff since Dak, you know, went down, whether it's Dalton, whether it's um, Danucci or whether it's Garrett Gilbert. Now I will say Gilbert was hung in there tough against Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago, but um, I, I, you know, Andy Dalton, the last time he played was Washington and they were getting destroyed before he left that game. And so, and I, Dalton just doesn't present much fear to me. And so it's really going to be up to, I think, these receivers, these playmakers for Dallas making some big plays because their offensive line is also very beat up. And, of course, their defense is just bad. So it's going to take some heroic, you know, acrobatic, insane, spectacular plays from uh, their, you know, playmakers to kind of keep up with the efficiency of the Vikings offense against this Cowboys defense. So with Andy Dalton, 
right? When he gets cut by Cincinnati, everyone knew they were going to go in a different direction. They had number one pick. They were going to go and grab Joe Burrow, and that was going to be that for the Andy Dalton era in Cincinnati. But when he left, excuse me, I don't think there was many people who were thinking, oh, he's done now. You know what I mean? Like, it, that's, this is the end of Andy Dalton's career. Well, I, think I think people lot, people really thought of him as the best back quarterback in the league once absolutely. he signed with Dallas, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, that's how I felt about it. I, f- I still feel like, you know, well, I guess I don't still feel like, but going into this season, I definitely felt like Andy Dalton could start for at least five teams. And he'd probably be the best quarterback on the roster currently on like 10 teams. That's, you know, that's kind of the sentiment that I had when the Cowboys went out and got him for, you know, cheap um, and to be Dak's backup in the event that the worst case scenario happens. Now, the worst case scenario presented itself and he has not been that at all. I believe he's played in about one and a half games, right? Uh, the games, and of course, they were nationally televised too. So we all have seen Andy Dalton play a couple times already this year. Now, Dalton doesn't look at all like the guy in Cincinnati. In Cincinnati, he had no problem going downfield to A.J. Green or you know, f- firing it up to Tyler Eifert for the three games that he's been healthy in his career. He was able to get the ball downfield to his receivers and make plays through the air. He was a true playmaker in the sense, right? The red, the red rifle. He was, he had that nickname for a reason because he had no problem hucking it downfield. Now, what I saw in his first couple games against Dallas was he was gun shy with these, with this group of receivers. If there is one part of this team that is next to perfect, it's the receiving core and Andy Dalton's making them worse somehow. Is it, it, it's, it, whether it's he's not getting off his first read quick enough, whether it's he just simply doesn't have the physical capacity to do this at a high level anymore, which I highly doubt, or there's the play calling, which, again, we have some experience with Mike McCarthy, and we have some experience with the good and the bad, and we can kind of point to, you know, this is a tendency he's always had, and it's always sucked, and we can do the inverse as well, too. But my ultimate point being here is that when you trot out Andy Dalton, at this time last year, most of us would probably think, Okay, he's going to compete. He's going to give Dallas a good shot here. From what I've seen this year, there's a real chance that you're not even going to get the full game from Andy Dalton. Because the last time he was on the field, before getting hurt, I suppose, he was replaced by Ben DiNucci, who, for what it's worth, is not better than Andy Dalton. But he was replaced for a reason. They needed a spark, and he wasn't the one giving it. So, you know, this offense is going to have to run through him. But they're going to, in my opinion, they have to win despite him unless he takes a dramatic turnaround and starts to look like the player he was even last year would be a significant improvement. Yeah. And I mean, you go back to, I, I was thinking the Washington game where he left with injury Dalton did, but then you even think before that to Arizona, the game that was Not on good. Monday night, that was bad too. Uh, they got crushed 38 to 10. They didn't compete at all with Arizona. And so those two weeks right there were the games that Dalton started, right? Uh, Arizona and Washington, 38 to 10 loss, 25 to three loss. So that is, the reason the Vikings are favored heavily in this game. And I mean, I, I think to a degree, I think the Vikings would, would be if Dak was quarterback, but there is a clear missing, you know, Dak's presence. He's making some money uh, with, you know, these guys out. And if he's able to be healthy, he should, he deserves quite a big contract. I think he, he, this is kind of saying that for him. Um, so I, I, from the Dallas quarterback position, whoever it is, it looks like it's going to be Dalton, but I, I feel like the Vikings are going to have a good, a good game plan against whoever it is, given that, you know, this defense is really picking up the pace a little bit, talking about the Vikings. Um, they've been able to keep, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, and then uh, Nick Foles in check three weeks in a row 
uh, limiting them. You know, Zimmer's getting really creative and kind of understanding the limitations he has now and um, and turning this thing around. So uh, the Vikings are trending up, Cowboys are trending down, and I think we'll see that on Sunday, at least when it comes to the Cowboys offense versus the Vikings defense. Because, you know, like you said, the Cowboys receivers, that receiving core is about as good as it gets. But, um, you know, that's not very useful if the court, the ball is not being thrown to them. And so, plus, we should talk about Ezekiel Elliott being the most overrated person in the NFL and just exactly that, just a person. <laughs> okay. One more thing before we get to that, because that's a bold statement. I would like to discuss that because I think there's merit <laughs> to the claim. Now, here's here's what's interesting when, you know, when you look at kind of this this Dallas offense. There's a ton of studs on this team, right? Like, it, the, the offense is is made up of got a ton of guys that have been in the Pro Bowl. And like you said before, a lot of guys are injured here, so the offensive line doesn't look necessarily as complete as it would, you know, say week one. Yeah. But you've got Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, you've got Zach Martin still in there. He's arguably, in my opinion, he's, he is the best guard in football because he's been doing it at the highest level. And Quentin Nelson. And Quentin Nelson, right. So you've got those two guys. Um uh, You've also got Connor Williams, who hasn't been, you know, a huge difference maker, I suppose. But there's talent there. Cameron Irvin concerns me <laughs> if you're a Cowboys fan. And if you're a Vikings fan, you have to feel pretty good about that, I think. But it does come down to this receiving core. And when you look at the Vikings defense and what they, you know, where they're lacking, it's in the cornerback group. And they have three very good receivers here and a couple other guys that are going to catch the ball as well. And Cooper is, and Gallup torched them last year, by the way, in Dallas. Right. Like, the Vikings were torched defensively and snuck out of that game with a win. But uh, D- Dallas owned the secondary last year, obviously with Dak playing, of course. So. Now, if you, you you have to – I mean, that's a that's got to be a factor here. But I think the more – kind of like the prominent point here is that the Vikings don't have any cornerback depth. They basically have three cornerbacks on their roster. And granted, all three of them have been playing at a pretty high level recently. Um and the Vikings have also dealt with backup quarterbacks pretty well recently. Of course, when you know you get to, you get the, the backup in Detroit, who the Vikings you know were able to you know he wasn't going anywhere. And then of course you get Nick Foles last week, who um, you know if you want to call him a backup, I'm going to call him a backup because I think Trubisky's going to be the starter when he comes off of injury, based off what I saw last week. The Vikings had no problem handling that with their depleted cornerback group. Now it's a similar situation, but now you have three receivers to deal with. So this is a new type of issue that I don't think this group has you know, truly faced. Normally, it's just slow down the best receiver, whether that's Devontae Adams or Allen Robinson. The Vikings have shown an ability to do that to a degree over the last couple of weeks with this cornerback group. Now you got to deal with three guys that can beat you and beat you deep at that. That's got to be a little bit concerning, even if it is Andy Dalton throwing the football. Right. I mean, the big play is always going to be a concern because, um, you know, any of these three guys, like you said, can beat them deep. And also can do damage after the catch. And, you know, we're not going to – Andy Dalton's not a scrub where, you know, he can't, he's incapable of throwing an accurate pass down the field. Now, the likelihood he does is probably not as high as Dak or, or, or Kirk Cousins. But, uh, you know, Mike McCarthy will draw up those deep plays and will try to attack these corners. And it's about Dalton getting the ball in the vicinity of these receivers. And if they can go up and high point the ball, make the catches – um, yeah, that's where the big plays can happen for this team. So it's not like we're going to, I'm not going to write off the Cowboys offense producing and making this game interesting and perhaps getting the upset. But I think the odds tell us and the recent play from Andy Dalton tells us that it's more likely that Dallas continues to struggle 
while the Vikings defense has been trending up here recently. Absolutely. Now let's get back to that point that you made earlier um, about yeah. Ezekiel Elliott. Because, you know, half of this offense, in my mind, runs through Andy Dalton, and really it's less than that. And the other half is Ezekiel Elliott. Tony Pollard basically doesn't play. This is the Ezekiel Elliott show in Dallas. He's going to touch. If they hand the ball off, it's going to him. And honestly, if they're throwing a short completion, completion it's probably going to him as well. And that's a tendency that we've seen from Andy Dalton in the one and a half games that he's played with Dallas. So he's going to be a huge factor here. Now, you just made the claim that he's overrated. And I think with the way that we've seen running back, the running back position trend this year with some new guys kind of leapfrogging the old ones and kind of coming into their own, you can make a very real argument, especially because this guy's paid so much money, right. that he is overrated. But the real question is, is how overrated is he? Is he overrated to the point where he's not even good enough to make a dent in this Vikings defense? Or is he just overrated in the sense that he's still a good player that can beat you but he's not worth the money that he's being paid. I think he's supremely average. And I say that, I mean, that's going to come off a little bit kind of bold. Uh, but here's the thinking. So out of college, you know, at Ohio State, playing on the best offense in college football uh, with perhaps the best team to be on, you know, gets the, to the signature runs against Alabama in that playoff game. His draft stock soars uh, and then goes to the best team in terms of the best brand in sports in Dallas with your first, their first round pick. He's a superstar immediately in the NFL. Uh, his brand is, you know, his brand, his personality is the next best thing. And so goes to Dallas. And of course they already have the best offensive line assembled in the you know 21st century. And so he's able to put up all these numbers and take the Cowboys to the playoffs. And, you know, they did it through him and his big numbers. And so immediately he's this huge figure when, you look at stuff like elusive ratings and um, broken tackles and things like that. He's extremely mediocre there. And you've noticed the last couple of years when their offensive line, it becomes a little bit more depleted. It's not quite the elite level it was in 2016. Uh, His numbers have dropped off and it's essentially a volume thing for him now where he's only producing fantasy wise if he gets enough touches. And it's not about him like Dalvin Cook where Dalvin can break up a run or he can make something out of nothing. Zeke doesn't have that trait. And so I am very much not scared of Zeke at all. And if the Cowboys want to ride him, uh, you know, in a close game or anything like that, like, I I mean, last year the Vikings shut down Zeke completely. And I remember Garrett went to him towards the end of that game instead of trusting Dak. And it could have been the reason the Cowboys lost that game. I have no worries about Ezekiel Elliott. I think he's very average. And I think that contract absolutely sucks for Dallas. But it was just because of the way – he was gifted a perfect situation at Ohio State. The two long runs in college kind of lifted his brand. Then he was drafted by the biggest sports brand in the world in the first round. His name became huge. And from there, he's become, you know, people think of him so highly because of that when he's just a guy. He's just a guy. And I think the last couple of years we're seeing that. And especially now when the situation's not perfect, he's not able to produce nearly what he used to when everything was perfect in 2016. I mean, you're not wrong. And the data argues that you're right. It's because, because you're not saying he's bad. You're saying average. Yeah. I'm not saying he's okay. Yeah. I'm saying he's an average starting running back that is uh, being blown out of proportion because basically of a, he was drafted high, uh, which I think also happened because of his status in college at Ohio state, best offense, really good situation, big numbers. 
and then going to a team at, in Dallas that had the perfect offensive line around him to just feed him the ball. And then the first couple of years in the league, you know, his his uh, his stock really took off, but it was bound to drop when the offensive line gets worse, uh, the situation around him gets worse, and I just don't see him as skilled as someone like Dalvin Cook, who quicker feet, you know, makes more people miss, uh, can catch the ball better, in my opinion. So, I mean, that's as I'd buy his take, sure, but I'd take, you know, like Aaron Jones over Ezekiel Elliott or uh, somebody like that, you know, Nick Chubb. Uh, the other, there's a bunch of running backs in this league that I think can do exactly what Zeke does, uh, if not better. Right. And, you know, you look at kind of the performance that he's had recently. And I'll use PFF because I think they're a good gauge of kind of giving you just an overall overview of what this player is giving you throughout the season, right? The last three weeks for Ezekiel Elliott, he's graded either average or below average. That's a 58.2, a 58.7, and a 53.5. So if you're familiar with the stats, you know what that means. If you're not, again, it's just basically average numbers, mediocre numbers. And that's truly the right adjective to use here because – He's not doing anything particularly special in their view, whether that's as a receiver, below average, blocking, where I have long considered him to be one of the better blocking running backs in the game. He's had one good game in the last three weeks from in terms of pass protection, which truly is the biggest asset in his career that he has right now because the explosive numbers, you're right, they're not there this year. You know, um, the elusiveness numbers – also, not there. It's just an objective evidence. It's not there for Ezekiel Elliott this year. Whether he was elite last year and fell off a cliff. See, because here's the thing. Like, we can measure things like broken tackle rate or elusive rating with, like, David Montgomery. Right? There's a guy that's not producing, you know, the aggregate numbers of rushing yards, touchdowns. His yards per carry sucks, too, um, in Chicago. But he's among the league leaders in broken tackles, which tells me, you know, he's still, like... He's being productive, and he's still a good runner of the football. It's just not showing because Chicago stinks. I mean, that's essentially what it is. And so Zeke has that opportunity to be to, to reflect that in his performance because Dallas stinks too. And but he can still put like that elusive number or making people miss. Like those things are measured by like the PFS of the world. But Zeke doesn't rank highly in those, and so that tells me he's not special, even though he's being lauded as such. Whereas someone like David Montgomery is is kind of the you know the flip side where someone that's kind of very much overlooked um, the the big gaudy numbers aren't there for him right now but I think he's being more effective in a limited situation than Zeke is in a limited situation. The last thing that I want to talk about with this offense before we get over to the other side of the ball is just with that point that you made about the regression as a result of the offensive line yeah. kind of falling apart. I think that's really important here for making your argument because how many running backs in the league of the starting 32 can you plug in behind Dallas's offensive line when they're at their best, right? Before Travis Frederick retires, Zach yeah. Martin in there, Tyrone Smith, you know, the whole deal. All those guys are all in there. How many of the starting running backs in the NFL and really, you know, some of the guys who are in shared roles as well, could you put behind that group and then give you 1,208? I want to say many of them 25 minimum and 20 many of them 1208 would, in my opinion, be considered a little I mean, bit remember above when average. Darren McFadden had a career year in Dallas. DeMarco Murray was awesome in Dallas. Like it was this offensive line had been assembled like really well, you know, in the Tony Romo era as well. Right. Like it was built. They, they did a tremendous job. 
you know, forming an offensive line through the draft. And every running back that went through Dallas, you know, they were really, really good. Like it wasn't just Zeke came in and put up these huge numbers. Um, there was, you know, it wasn't a, a secret that the running back position did well in Dallas. And so to see Zeke come in and put up these huge numbers, it wasn't some big surprise. He just happened to stay healthy for 16 games and the Dallas offense fed him the ball. Uh, I think that he, any running back would have performed the same way, or I shouldn't say any, most starting running backs would have performed uh, at the same level, in my opinion. So it's, I'm not very surprised by any means to see him struggle when things going or get, getting a little tough here. He, you could make the comparison that he's kind of like a Kirk Cousins in terms of the running back position. The big contract puts up the gaudy numbers, uh, but can't really lift your team to new heights um, when the situation isn't perfect around him. And again, the statistics support that claim over the last three weeks. Not an efficient player, not an efficient runner, not an efficient blocker, not an efficient pass catcher. She's not going to get it done, especially when, like we said, Andy Dalton or Gary Gilbert is your quarterback. Regardless, if, if Dallas is going to have a chance of winning this game, Ezekiel Elliott is going to have to shut Drew and myself up and suggest yeah. that we are very wrong because they're not winning this game without probably one or two touchdowns from him. Straight up. That's probably how it's going to be. Unless, unless Andy Dalton... Find something that I don't think he has anymore. Um, this is the Ezekiel Elliott show. Yeah. And I, mean, I think I'm the big you. play, there's always the potential for the big play with these receivers. There just is. But how uh, many times can you do that, right? right. That's not that's, like. That's that. That's where the question lies, you know, or the, the, you know, the result of this game is going to lie. I think how many big plays can Dallas hit and can it keep up with the efficiency of Minnesota's offense, which we'll talk about here. And I think that's a, that's a great transition. Let's talk about that right now. Um, you look at this defense and. You know, they're subject to injuries as well to a degree. They're also subject to changes. You know, they have had a, they've had a couple players. Like, we thought we were going to see Everson Griffin this week. Uh, he we ended up seeing him, what, two weeks ago in Detroit. Um, they also have released, was it Don Terry Poe for being overweight, which that was interesting to me. He's always been a big human. Um, but this group is just different, right? There's some of the big playmakers that you're used to seeing. I mean, Jalen Smith is still there. Um, Leighton Vanderesh, of course, is still there. If I mean, if he's not hurt, which he typically is, same can be said about Sean Lee. Both those guys are still there, but they're getting contributions now. You know, outside of Demarcus Lawrence, who, in my opinion, is definitively their best player on defense. He's the biggest playmaker, and he's the biggest concern the Vikings should have. He's going to be coming off the left side. Outside of him, they're getting weird contributions from guys who washed out of the league and are now back, and Alden Smith and Randy Gregory. Two cases there, which I've seen people say they should be getting votes for comeback player of the year, and they should immediately stop talking. <laughs> so you're getting some production out of those two guys in terms of pass rushing specifically, not a whole lot else from Smith and Gregory. Demarcus Lawrence is the whole package. But outside of that, you know, they don't have – there's not a whole lot to scare you, and I think that's because the secondary, which for what it's worth, has never really been strong. It's been – it's looked good on paper. But it's it hasn't been good in what ten fifteen years. Seems I mean, like they've always like they kind of bring in big names or they use Brandon Carr. Picks. They use the draft picks on guys and it just doesn't work out for whatever reason. Um, so I, I I mean teams are marching all over Dallas this year. That's not it doesn't matter who you are. Um, you know you're able to score on the Dallas Cowboys in 2020. That's just the way it's been. Washington did so a couple weeks ago with ease and they you know, should have scored more in that game. Actually, um, you know, the Browns put up 49 on them. Seattle put up 38 Atlanta, 40 
Um, the Giants put up 34 on them in Dallas. Uh, you know, there's there was only it's weird that the only team at this point you can look at was really Pittsburgh um, a couple weeks ago. But other than that, teams are putting up 30 to 40 with ease. And so the fact that Minnesota comes into this game is the most efficient team in the NFL. Yards per play, yards per rush attempt, yards per pass attempt. Like they're leading the league in every category in terms of efficiency. And so I have I see no reason to doubt it at this point, given that they didn't seem to have an issue at Soldier Field against Chicago, which, of course, was a top five, top ten or better defense there. Now they get to be at home uh, in a, you know, a better environment against a defense that is statistically much, much worse. Right. So you look at this kind of this group as a whole and try to figure out what's going wrong. Because some of the things look really good. I mean, Alden Smith has five sacks. He's clearly getting after the quarterback. Um, he's having, you know, in in most for most people, five sacks through what ten games. Um, that's a big deal, right? Uh, and you'd think that they, you know, align next to Demarcus Lawrence, that you know they'd be at least getting pressure, which in theory would slow down the big play, and you know get their defense off the field more. That's not happening for some reason. And I don't really have a perfect explanation for why, but it seems like even when the Cowboys put themselves in a position where it's, you know, second and 18, you get a, a standard sack on first down. They're still finding a way to give up that 18 yards over the next two downs. Mm. Now, I don't, I don't really know why that is. Part of it in my mind is because I don't think Mike Nolan's a very good defensive coordinator. Just in general, I'm not a fan of his. But you can't pin it all on him. And... You can't pin it all on like guys like Trayvon Diggs, who he can easily be your scapegoat, Stefan's little brother, because he's been burned multiple times this season. But he's also a rookie cornerback. If a rookie number two cornerback is the reason why your defense is suffering, you know, you you're probably like you're probably really good then. It, it, it you can't blame a bad defense on a guy who's been in the league for half a season. And you look at the rest of this group, too, they're underperforming. I mean, DeMarcus Lawrence has three sacks. That's fine. And he's getting pressures. But is that what you're paying him for? You're paying him for 12, 13, 14 sacks. You're not getting that from him this year. And then you look at Leighton Vander Esch and uh, Sean Lee. Again, if they can stay on the field, both of those guys are basically the same player. They're not doing anything at as at high of a rate as they have in previous years either. So really, the only guy who is overperforming right now is Alden Smith, who you didn't even think you were going to have this year. Just take that. Like, can you imagine being in the Cowboys position where the best player on your defense this year is a guy who you didn't think should even be in the league, probably, and you were arguing at owners' meetings to keep him out of the league probably no more than a year ago. All of a sudden, he's the most, he's the most difficult player to stop in your unit. Jalen Smith has regressed. Xavier Woods regressed. I mean, I look at this entire group, straight regression across the board. I don't know if, if it's Mike Nolan. I don't know if these guys don't know how to play with each other. I don't know if it's just constant misassignments. But I feel like Everson Griffin and Don Terry Poe were not the root of the issue. It's got to be something else because across the board, you're right. They are getting marched on up and down the field every single week, regardless of who's at quarterback or running back. It does not matter. Right. And I think this is even the case last year, too, that defense was – like there's so many good, like in theory, like some of the, so many of these players uh, appear to be good players. Like their the right. roster talent wise, you know, it, it's loaded. It has been loaded in, in Dallas for a while. 
Um, but for whatever reason, it's not amounting to uh, to good defensive production and play. So it might be a coaching thing. And I know they've made switches there, that defensive coordinator and stuff too. So I don't, you know, I don't really have an answer. I just know that, and maybe we're all just wrong. Maybe we, we think of all these players in Dallas and we think of that Cowboys brand. I think, oh, they have so much talent there all the time. They're, you know, but maybe they're not, maybe they're just bad players. Maybe, you know, they're missing on these picks all the time, missing on these player evals. And we're kind of giving them benefit of the doubt when we shouldn't be, but either way, numbers say that they're bad. And that's kind of, that's, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For the record on third down, just to kind of clue into my educated guess from earlier that they just can't get off the field, regardless of the situation, opposing offenses are are converting third downs right now at a 48% clip against Dallas. 48%. Can you imagine how frustrating that's got to be as a fan to be sitting there and one out of every two third downs, your team gets to stay on the field? That's well, that's, that's one tough. reason and it's tough stink. to win like that. You're, you're worn out. You know, you know, every play is going for nine, ten or every drive is going for, you know, nine, ten plays. So and that, and then we should you know mention, you know, again, Kirk Cousins leads the NFL. I got to look at this stat because it's the one it's yards per attempt but it factors in interceptions and Kirk has a lot of those. Um, uh, what is it? It's net yards per attempt, I believe. Um, but I believe it factors in interceptions and he still leads the league in that stat. And he's also, he's 8.8 yards per attempt, which is uh, very much in the lead there. Also yards per pass completion, 13.3, which is uh, over about a yard ahead of Watson at number two. So I mean, he's for this reputation he has of being checked down Kirk. Uh, Kirk has been supremely efficient, you know, throw and creating large plays. Uh, and so I, I feel like a lot of those are going to come again this weekend against a, a team that has been uh, getting its getting a reputation for giving up large plays. Absolutely. And it can come from just about anywhere. Again, I, I mentioned all those names of regression, right? I mean, you expect Jalen Smith, who, you know, when he's at Notre Dame, everyone considered him to be definitively the best linebacking prospect. He gets hurt. He comes back. Uh, I feel like Dallas definitely got a value with him. I believe it was in the second round. Um, And he looked really, really good the first couple of years of his career. But now the range and kind of explosiveness that you saw from Jalen Smith and you probably have become familiar with because it has made him, you know, a household name at an inside linebacker position where – you know, ranginess and making tackles is not sexy anymore, right? But he was able to make a name for himself. And you can argue the same thing you did with Ezekiel Elliott before. He comes from Notre Dame, he goes to Dallas, he's got brand recognition all over him. But he was really, really good the last couple of years. He has not been good this year. Like in, If we had done this recording on during week one, I would say, watch out for Jalen Smith when Dalvin Cook is trying to get it to the third level. Now I'm not as concerned about him being in that right spot. He's got a nose for the football. I'm not denying that. But he used to be a guy who he was meeting every running back in the hole. He, no one was getting to the second level, and he was racking up 10 to 15 sacks, tackles a game. That's just not what Jalen Smith has been doing this year. So it's going to take a collective effort here against this Vikings offense, which has been humming. Because now, after last week, we feel probably more confident about this Vikings team being a bit more balanced moving forward, which ultimately is a good thing. I know that running Dalvin Cook down people's throats is fun, but you'd like to see a little bit more balance. And this feels like the type of game where you can take advantage with balance, Mm -hmm. right? I've been talking about Alden Smith probably too much for my 
personal liking, but I'll bring him up one more time. He is the perfect type of player to catch on play action because he's going to be coming hard every single time he has the opportunity. And Ur Chasing draw. sacks. Chasing sacks. You can get him with draws and you can get him with play action because I don't think that Alden Smith is the most wisdomous of athletes. And I think, I think that for a number of reasons, but I'll keep it on the field. I don't consider him to be a guy with a high football IQ. I consider him to be a guy who has tremendous bend, tremendous explosiveness, and just a knack for finding the football. That's not about football smarts to me. So I think you can slow him down and take him out of the game with just play calling. And if you take out arguably their best defensive player, or at least this season for sure, what more do you have left? You're going to need a big game out of Demarcus Lawrence then. Because you're going to need to get pressure on Kirk Cousins. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's going to do what he did last week. And just, you know, kind of efficiently move the ball down the field, take a couple shots here and there. And again, you have the cornerbacks to take the shots against. Jordan, Jordan Lewis, not great. Shadobi Awuzie, also not great. And Trayvon Diggs, who I alluded to earlier, as great of a prospect as he is, he's not there yet. Not there yet. And he's getting burnt at the highest rate in the NFL, I believe, at least as of a week ago. I'm not sure where it's at now, but he's got the highest burn percentage in the league. So... This is an opportunity game for the Vikings, and it's also kind of a, a, a showcase game. You just came off this big three-game stretch. You're on a high, you're kind of on a more like a morale high, a, a momentum high, and this is to me this is a trap game now. You're a four and five football team, and somehow you have a trap game. I don't know how that works, but that's what this is. This is kind of what this is because if the Vikings win this game, we get back to 500. We bring a whole other group of the fan base back on board here, and if they lose this game, everything I've said over the last three weeks doesn't matter. And it sucks. That's the yeah. position they're in this week. They got to beat this team, and they have a great opportunity to do so. I, I agree. I agree. There's, they match up really well. And I, one thing I do want to mention about the Vikings' offense, um, you know, first and second down, pass the ball more, uh, and it, it's tough to, it's it's easy to say that now, right? Because they just had a game against the Bears where. Dalvin was very inefficient. They were able to key on the, the Bears defense was able to key in on him early and force a lot of third and longs. But uh, the idea, the you want to make things easier for your quarterback, right? We I think that's the goal for what we want, and I'm sure the Vikings offense wants that too. Make it easier for your quarterback. Make it easier for Kirk because he's not he's not Pat Mahomes. Um, the easiest times to throw the ball are first and second down. You don't you want to be only throwing the ball on third and eight or whatever the case is. So that's my urge. And that's what I hope they maybe transition to a little bit more this week uh, is just being more willing to throw the ball on early downs on, you know, first down and then kind of your second medium or second and long um, where I, I've been kind of frustrated with Kubiak personally is, you know, the second and long in particular when he decides to run the ball, whether it works out or not, I just don't like that process. But um to your point about this week, uh, I think overall, whether the Vikings stick with the old school game plan or they try a little something different that I'm suggesting, I think they have the advantage over Dallas. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's jump into our picks then, starting with, of course, this game. Um, you guys have all the information now. Um, what direction, you know, I, I, I made it pretty clear, right? This is a win or go home type of situation for the Vikings. And really, the rest of the season is kind of that way, uh, especially with some of the teams on their upcoming schedule here. But it really starts in Dallas this week, right? You get the opportunity to get back to 500. And knowing what we do against, you know, about Dallas, knowing what Vegas does about Dallas, this feels like a real opportunity here. So do the Vikings get it done? 
or is this just, you know, a classic example of the Vikings getting their fans really excited with three consecutive division wins only to fail when kind of, you know, the spotlight really gets back on them? Um, I mean, that's definitely possible, and I'll never, ever rule that out uh, following the Vikings long enough to know that that's always possible. But I'm taking Minnesota in this game. I think they're gelling really well. Zimmer's got I me. Mean, Zimmer has really worked this defense uh, uh, you know, has done his work to get this defense back on track. And I love that about him that, you know, he's, it is to that point where we kind of doubted this for a while, but it's to that point now where they could, you know, throw me and you out there at cornerback and, and this defense would be effective. So uh, I'm going to take the Vikings. I'm going to take the Vikings too. Um, I don't think that there's anyone on this Dallas team that poses a significant enough threat where I don't feel comfortable with the Vikings range of ways to win. Right. Yeah, true. There's the Vikings. You really feel like they can win multiple ways. Like now I do. They can go a bunch of different avenues in this game in particular and win. I don't think you could say that about like Green Bay or uh, teams like that. But I think Dallas, you can. Yeah. Right. This is a game where based off the way Dallas has played, you can pick apart this defense in a number of ways. And I feel like this is going to be a combination game. This isn't going to be a Kirk Cousins, you know, 350 yards for touchdowns game. Um, or the inverse where he's going to throw an interception and do something ridiculous and kill the team. And I don't think it's going to be a Dalvin Cook game either. I just think that this is going to be a slow, efficient cruise to victory for the Vikings. I think they're going to win by multiple scores. I think Vegas has this one right. Um, I I think everything has aligned for this team to win this specific football game. I don't know about the rest of the season, but everything that we've seen for about a month now suggests the Vikings have – they they are well within their ability to crush this football team. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to happen this week, so I'll take Minnesota as well. Now, the start of the week uh, might be the most influential football game to date this season. I'm going to make the argument. Um, two six and three football teams on Thursday night. You don't normally get a good one on Thursday, so this is exciting. Arizona and Seattle will square off in Seattle. Now, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins coming off of that Hail Mary to push them past Buffalo um, and get them to this point. Seattle, on the other hand, has been free-falling. Russell Wilson is throwing passes that I've never seen him throw before. It's almost like the weight on his shoulders is too much all of a sudden. And that's something we haven't seen. Now, on the flip side, it seems like Kyler Murray is really coming into his own. We saw flashes early in the season, then they kind of came back down to earth. But now the last three weeks, I really think that this is arguably a top 10 quarterback in the NFL right now. He's got a very real MVP candidacy at this point with six wins and the way he's scoring touchdowns both through the air and on the ground. And he looks like, at least over the last couple weeks, Russell Wilson, but more efficient. So is Russell Wilson going to get it done, kind of go back to the form that we saw earlier this year? Or are we going to get the Kyler Murray show once again? I don't even know. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pick this game around the fly right now because I don't really have a, a feeling on this. I'm gonna I'm gonna take Seattle. Um, I think that it's a Thursday game and it can be just weird enough where Seattle can kind of reverse things a little bit uh, and stop kind of Arizona's surge at the same time. Uh, but uh, the nice thing about this for Vikings fans, if you want to look at this optimistically, is that one of those two teams will lose this game. Exactly. And that will bring up four. So if the Vikings win uh, against uh, Dallas that brings them to within one of one of these teams and I think we would prefer given that uh, the Vikings have lost to Seattle already this year that we prefer Seattle win this game so I guess I'm going to kind of go with Seattle here and bring hopefully bring Arizona down to six and four so I'm going to take Arizona so when you're and here's why when 
when you look at a Thursday football game and it's a toss up, it's a situation, right, where either team is kind of designed to win this game, you pick based off of a couple things, right? Experience or momentum are kind of the two things that I favor, whether that's coaching experience or, you know, a team that's just hot and staying hot. And with those two kind of, you know, subjective analysis and analyses of these two teams. I mean, you've got momentum on Arizona's side and heavily against Seattle, but on the other side, you've got Pete Carroll, who's done this a million times, Russell Wilson, who's an established winner in the NFL against Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, who, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury's really never won anything. Kyler Murray has won a few things as we know, but not in the NFL yet. So generally speaking, Are you going to take momentum or experience? I'm going to take momentum, and part of that is because you picked Seattle. The other part of that is just the fact that I think momentum is the most dangerous thing that we can't quantify and that, you know, math people don't even believe in. But it's crazy. It's it's crazy when you get hot because there's no way to explain why things are happening. And I think last week is a perfect example of that. No one saw that pass being where it needed to be and DeAndre Hopkins to be standing there. But for some reason, and if someone's gonna someone's gonna look at that and be like, "Oh no, it was just a great play call, blocking up front, bad coverage, whatever." To me, that's a momentum win. You throw the ball down there, your guy just happens to be there, and I mean that throw that Murray threw—that's just an inhuman throw. It, it doesn't to me. It doesn't make sense. So I'm gonna take the team that doesn't make sense since Thursday football to me is all about kind of those not intangibles that really can't quantify. Yeah, by not making sense. All right, the rest of the week here. Uh, Philadelphia, Cleveland, not nearly as much fun, uh, but a game that does have influence into what's going to happen with the playoff picture, Um, especially Cleveland kind of needs this one, especially the way that Pittsburgh is trending. And on the flip side of that, Baltimore is kind of falling off. Cleveland has an opportunity here. Yeah, I'm going to go Cleveland here. Uh, I think, yeah, I just don't like, I don't like any of the NFC East teams. And so if they're playing against a team that's not in the NFC East, um, I'm probably going to pick, you know, the team that's, in this case, Cleveland, the team outside the NFC East to win the game. So I like Cleveland and they're not, I mean, I don't think Baker's been that good, but they're kind of just winning. They're winning games kind of in the old school Vikings way where they're just kind of running the ball. They're playing pretty solid defense or keeping their team, other teams in check and just kind of scraping by. So I'm going to take Cleveland. I'm going to take Cleveland too. Uh, for the first reason that you stated, I don't trust anyone in the NFC East period yeah. cut and dry. Uh, next one here, NFC South. Uh, ATL, the Atlanta Falcons head to New Orleans, which typically is a fun matchup. Drew Brees isn't playing in this one. And again, like you mentioned before, we're kind of on, since the Vikings are back, quote, in the hunt, we're kind of uh, schedule hunting a little bit as well. And this is uh, this is an opportunity here with New Orleans losing Drew Brees for kind of indefinitely at this point. There's no timetable, no true timetable at least. Um, if Atlanta can pull this one out, that's another team here that could fall out of position and give the Vikings to get back in the playoffs. I have Atlanta in this game. Um, it's a lot. A lot of it has to do with Jameis playing uh, at quarterback for the Saints. Uh, but I also think the Falcons have enough firepower on offense in a dome where they could keep up here. And uh, that's why I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the Falcons. I'm going to take Matt Ryan and that experience in a shootout just uh, over Jameis kind of getting – thrust into you know a key game down the stretch here uh for the saints so i'm gonna take the falcons again we can use you know some tools here that don't really have peer evidence behind it but um last week 
I picked Chicago to beat Minnesota because I said that Kirk Cousins was probably going to be the guy to blow this game. You've got got a similar situation here. Jameis Winston has a very real tendency. One may argue the highest tendency in NFL history to throw a stupid interception. And I think Atlanta, with the injury to Drew Brees and kind of the inability to facilitate efficiently, whereas now it's going to be kind of a – I think it's going to be more of a kind of a go deep and hope for the best than run Alvin Kamara to death situation because you don't really trust Jameis Winston to efficiently move it down the field like on 14, 15 plays. I think Atlanta has enough. I think you're right. And to me, it comes down to who makes the play in the end. And to me, New Orleans is more likely to blow it because of who they have at quarterback. Granted, Jameis Winston could be a new guy with Sean Payton, but I doubt it. So I'm going Atlanta here. Uh, Next one's kind of a... One we don't we can kind of gloss over this one. Uh, Joe Burrow gets to play against the Washington football team this week. Not a whole lot of playoff implication here, um, outside of the fact that Washington is still competitive in the NFC East. But that doesn't really matter to us. So who you got in this yeah. one? I'm rooting for chaos in the NFC East. Uh, I'm going with Washington. I want that. I want that division to have a winner at six wins so bad. And so I think this would help that because uh, I want. I, I w- it'd be sick if Washington won that division. They go to get your Washington football team division champion t-shirt five <laughs> t- five and 11 record or whatever that's what i'm looking for but i also want to root for alex smith because he was so close last week to winning in detroit uh he deserves a win so to me this is another coin flip game uh two bad teams two teams that don't really have stand out one way hard uh one way or the other um so i'm gonna take cincinnati here i'm gonna say it's a joe burrow game um to me if he if he you know plays his game, the game that he's been playing against some good teams recently, against a not-so-good team, they should come out with a win. So I'll take Cincinnati here. Uh, Detroit at Carolina is the next one on here. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is out, I believe. Um, Matthew Stafford, of course, uh, hobbled a little bit as well. Uh, But Detroit came off a victory last week. Carolina, not so much. Um, Carolina seems to be fading, whereas Detroit is still in it somehow, some way. Who you got in this one? I pick Carolina way too often because of Teddy, and uh, now I sort of have reason not to pick Teddy uh, to kind of more pick with pick objectively rather than subjectively. I'm going to pick Detroit in this game, um, and hopefully I'm rewarded for kind of picking in a smart manner this time. Yeah, the, uh, everything suggests Detroit wins this football game. Um, Carolina is going to need a lot from Mike Davis to win this game. Uh, he hasn't looked super good over the last few weeks. He's come back down to earth. Um, I just don't see them getting it done. I think Detroit's got too much, so I'm going to take Detroit as well. Um, next one here, Pittsburgh at Jacksonville. I think we can kind of you know, write you this need, one in no, on pen. Yeah, we're good. Move along. Pittsburgh for the Pittsburgh. both of us. Yep. And back to a more competitive matchup. This one should be a fun one with Tennessee and Baltimore squaring off this week. Um, two teams that like to run the football and do it in very different ways. So um, who you got in this one? I got Tennessee. I, I, I ride with Tennessee uh, probably to a fault. But, um, hey, Lamar Jackson hasn't been the same Lamar Jackson this year. And no, so he's not. Kind of waiting for that to, re, you know, the 2019 Lamar Jackson to resurface before you can confidently pick Baltimore against a team like Tennessee. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of I, – I'm, I'm conflicted with this one because I think that Baltimore is the better team. They have not been playing well lately. You're right. And Lamar Jackson has not been the MVP. Uh, it's kind of hard to pick against Tennessee in that situation because if Lamar Jackson isn't playing otherworldly, 
Baltimore's just an above-average team. They have a very good defense that they can fall back on, but against Tennessee, who you could argue is an elite football team in this NFL, um, it's tough to pick Baltimore here. So I'm going to take Tennessee as well, um, but I do think this one will be close, and I think that's a fun one to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, next one here, New England coming off of a huge win to kind of keep them relevant, same way the Vikings did last week. Um, this week they get Houston, so... Uh, again, another opportunity for New England to climb back out of the um, out of the hole that they put themselves in early in the season um, against a team that you know has basically been in a hole all season. So, who you got in this one? Cam Newton, Deshaun Watson. Uh, I got New England. I think Bill Belichick is going to win this one by the way he coaches the game, uh, able to shut down Deshaun Watson, make it difficult for him. So, I'm going to take New England. I'm going to take New England, too. Uh, it's just really hard to pick Houston against anyone right now, even New England. Um, and we have seen that New England has the capacity to be very special offensively. We saw it early in the year. We just kind of forgotten about it. Uh, yep. But I think this is an opportunity here for Josh McDaniels to kind of restake his claim as, you know, being one of the better offensive minds in football. Uh, next one here, showdown between up-and-coming teams slash teams that may or may not be there. Um it's a battle of teams where do you believe in the Miami Dolphins or do you believe in the Denver Broncos? I think there's one team here that's a little bit easier to believe in right now. Yeah. Um, in Miami because of how they've played and how well they're coached. Um, that Flores hire looks better literally every week. It's crazy. Um, and Denver, who has Drew Locke, and I believe Locke's actually hurt, but yeah. he is really um, kind of the, the rally cry for that state right now um, if he's playing. But on the flip side, you got Tua. You got Tua, who says the NFL is easy. So, um, who you got in this one? I have Miami. Uh, that defense is actually pretty darn good, uh, and so I think that's going to be a problem for Denver, whoever's that quarterback. So, uh, for that reason, I'm picking Miami. Yeah, I'm going to take Miami first and foremost because we don't know who's going to be at quarterback for Denver, and if it's not Drew Locke, they basically can't win this game. Um, on the other side, I think last week might have made me a believer in Miami. Um, I said last week that I didn't, you argued to me that, you know, that they were definitely a capable football team. And I was arguing, you know, whether or not it was a, you know, a good win for Justin Herbert. I, I think last week, the good win was Miami because they proved to everyone they can compete against a team that can do more than just, you know, get lucky, right? Los Angeles has some good players and they can do some good things offensively. Miami shut them down. Kept mm -hmm. most of their superstars shut, silent. Justin Herbert had arguably the worst game of his professional career last week. So I think Miami might be for real. And um, they get an opportunity here against a team that's largely hurt. So I think Miami's probably the clear victor here. Um, last few that we got on the docket. Uh, the New York Jets face off against Justin Herbert's Chargers. Um, can the Jets overcome this one? I mean, I think no. on paper there's a clear victor. But record-wise. The Jets are so bad. Yep. <laughs> as long as Adam Gase is coaching the Jets. He is still, right? They haven't fired him yet. Right. So, they have uh, yeah, a 67% chance of getting the number one pick. Right What's now. their percent chance of not winning a game? Because I feel like that's got to be pretty high. Uh, someone out there who does math, uh, you have a question. And uh, please provide an answer in the comments section because right. I have no idea. <laughs> Um, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take the Chargers here too. Obviously I'm not picking the Jets ever. That's not happening this year. Um, Green Bay and Indianapolis is the next one on here. Um, you know, this is definitely an opportunity for the Vikings. Another one of those schedule watching moments where, um, if Gr Green Bay can kind of 
lose to some mid-major teams. Indianapolis is kind of included in that group. Uh, the Vikings might be more relevant. Um, so can Phillip Rivers get it done against Green Bay, who has looked vulnerable in recent weeks? I'm not saying bad. I'm saying vulnerable. They almost lost to Jacksonville last week. They lost to the Vikings two weeks ago. Can Indianapolis keep that run going? Uh, I'm going to pick Indianapolis because uh, I think they've looked really good. They impressed me against Tennessee last week. They're coming off a, a kind of a mini bye week right after the uh, the Titans Thursday night game. So I think they'll be ready to go. I got the Colts. I'm going to take Green Bay um, just because that's what I don't want. And I feel like that's, you know, to me, this game, there isn't again, the, Indianapolis is not bad. They're not a bad football team. They've got a solid defense. It's just is Philip Rivers going to blow it or not? And I think that Green Bay has too many guys that will give him the opportunity to have that Phillip Rivers moment, right? There's two or three good pass rushers out there. There's two, probably three defensive backs who love to jump routes. I think he's going to throw the interception this week. Uh, I'm going to take Green Bay. Um, Last two, Kansas City and Las Vegas. Um, You know, generally we pick Kansas City no matter what. Uh, but I'm going to I'll ask you because, you know, one of the games they lost this year was to these very Raiders. I'm going with the Chiefs. Uh, I just don't see that happening again. In fact, I see this being a blowout in favor of the Chiefs. Uh, I think they're going to be they're going to kind of get their revenge here in this one. So I, I'm with you. I think that 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 loss to the Raiders earlier this year kind of works against them in this sense, because I don't see who Patrick Mahomes doesn't lose to anyone twice. He's not going to lose to the Raiders twice. Right. Uh, I'm picking Kansas City. Uh, and the final one, the Monday night game, should be a fun one. Uh, another opportunity and something to keep an eye on as a Vikings fan. Uh, the Rams face off against the Tom, the Tampa Bay. Excuse me, the Tampa Bay. Buccaneers. There you go. There we go. Um, and like we were saying before, these are two teams here that, in theory, could fall off. It could be either based off of what we've seen in the last three weeks and kind of the precedent that they've set. Uh, but the Rams look like the better, kind of more consistent team right now. But Tampa Bay is coming off of one of the best weeks of football that, you know, I've seen Tom Brady play. See, in yeah, universe. both of these teams have had really bad games and really good games, right? So where so are they? That's the, I, I don't know. Like either of these teams, like they have kind of two identities to them. You know, Tampa Bay, the game against the Saints, you know, where'd that come from? Meanwhile, before this week, the Rams had like only beaten the NFC East, I believe, or something like that. Or anyway, they were, all their wins were against pretty bad teams. Um, and then they beat Seattle, of course. So I'm going to go Tampa just because they're the home team. But I think this is a very evenly matched uh, a game here. And I think I just it's basically do you trust Tom Brady or Jared Goff? And I just don't trust Jared Goff enough. So I had I had Tampa Bay written in. Then you said you're taking Tampa Bay. And I see an opportunity here because I do think this is a coin toss game. But then you said I don't trust you know, Jared Goff against Tom Brady. And that to me is the only thing that really matters, right? Tom Brady or Jared Goff, who are you, which team are you going to bet on? I'm going to take, I'm going to take Tom Brady because I don't see him having a game like he did two weeks ago against new Orleans again this year. I think that that was kind of the one game he gets every year where he's really bad and bad enough to really hurt his team. To me, they have too many good players on their team um, that if Tom Brady plays just average, uh, they can beat just about anyone. I think Tampa Bay is as complete of a roster as you're going to find, at least offensively. Um, and definitely you can make an argument on defense as well based off of how they've played. So I'm going to take Tampa Bay, but I do think this is going to be a fun one. And uh, who? I mean, as a Vikings fan, who do you want to win this game? 
I feel like with New Orleans kind of sliding I mean, without Drew Brees, I feel like it's more beneficial for Tampa Bay to kind of take over that NFC South, and then hopefully they, you know, the Saints I think kind of. It's another one of those. Either way, you get an NFC contender that loses. Um, I think it's one of those where you, you, you take what you can get out from this game, and then from here you kind of can put together what you want for the rest of the season. But um, and plus, the Vikings have an opportunity to beat the Bucks later this year, where they don't have that with the Rams. So maybe take that in consideration. Where it might be better for the Rams to win it because of that. The Vikings do play the Bucks and the Saints this year and can beat them both. Uh, that could potentially, if those teams do falter a little bit, become a wild card, uh, you know, impact there. But um, I think for that sake, you maybe want to root for the Rams in this one. But I'm still taking the Bucks. Yeah. <laughs> A um, lot of good points there, and this should be definitely be a, a fun week for Vikings fans. You know, if, like I said at the top here, if the Vikings can close this one against Dallas, not only are they back to 500, um, but we will see this weekend that one or two of these teams might slide a little bit. Whether that's Arizona, Seattle, Los Angeles, Tampa Bay, uh, potentially even Green Bay against Indianapolis, the Vikings could make up some ground this week. This is a big week for uh, Minnesota. Uh, not just you know in their own home stadium, but across the NFL as well. So uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on that, and we'll check in with you guys next week on uh, where the Vikings are at and kind of the direction they're heading. And hopefully, hopefully, we'll be talking about yet another win. But um, until then, you can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also find Drew and myself on Daily Norseman or YouTube. Feel free to drop a comment in one of those sections. I love reading those. Um, it's a lot of fun for us, and it helps generate more content for you guys as well. So um, please uh, feel uh, feel like you should do that because that's a lot of fun for me. So uh, thank you for listening to the show this week. Um, and like I said, uh, hopefully we'll be talking about a Minnesota Vikings win next week. So um, we'll catch you guys next week. Oh.